Hey, we've got a lot of folks that are uh, standing in the back that have just come in, and we need some seats for them. So do me a favor. Uh, if there are any seats in the middle of your section, like away from the ends, would you just squeeze in, go in this way? You guys would just come in this way, uh, squeeze in like toward the center of your section. That way it's going to create some, some spots on the very ends for them to get in easily. Uh, thank you for that. I know that it's inconvenient to move and that you're too tired to move. But thank you for doing that. Hey, everybody doing okay? Everybody feeling okay? Hey, we have a crowd that's living tonight. Glory to God. Sometimes I come in and start this, and it's like you've got embalming fluid on your breath. It's just dead in here. Hey, it's two weeks. Two weeks until camp at the beach. Two weeks. Two weeks. This is, the, oh, this is so exciting. Listen, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to talk a lot tonight about camp. I'm going to take a lot of what we're talking about tonight, and I'm going I'm to put it around the theme of camp. And I know that not everybody in here is, is going to camp, and those of you who are not going to camp with us, I want to say two things to you. Number one, shame. Number two, uh, if you start listening to this message tonight, and you're like, you know what, I need to be at camp because I need what he's talking about, then right after this service, you're going to have an opportunity to go to camp. You're going to have an opportunity to get on board. We can still get you on board, but you got to figure this out because on Memorial Day, which is next Monday, by the way, this coming Monday, that's it. It's closed. And so you got to figure this out starting tonight. you got to, you got to get this figured out. Listen, last week we started talking about um, the almost Christian. We had a guy named Simon. Anybody remember this from last week? We had a guy named Simon. All heaven broke loose, and a revival broke out, and a guy named Simon is there, and he wants what the apostles had, but he didn't want Jesus. He wanted the power that was on display, but he wasn't saved. He needed Jesus, and he didn't have him, even though, uh-oh, it says that he believed and he was baptized. Something was missing, and when the story ended, it's this really sad ending note where the disciples just look at him and basically rebuke him and turn around and walk away. And he leaves. And he goes on in his waywardness. History will record that he goes on and he meets his end when he says he's going to use his magic and his sorcery to rise again from the dead just like Jesus did. He has himself buried alive and he says in three days I'm going to rise again. And he's buried alive and he's never heard from again. That's the end of Simon. Really sad story. Today, we're going to look at a similar story, but here is the issue in this week's account. Last week, the almost Christian. This week, the casual Christian. The casual Christian. I told you I'm going to talk a lot tonight about camp. I'm going to tell you some stories about camp back in my day. And listen, I was, I know, I know. Listen, when I was thinking about camp in my day, I had to do an inflation conversion on the money because I was curious. I was like, how much was camp if it would have been today? Hey, camp for us was like $400. I mean, it was $250, but it was $1998. And so that equates to like $400 today. And we took vans. We didn't even take nice buses. Listen, to next, 
Two weeks from now, you're going to get on these nice charter buses, professionally driven. You're going to be so comfortable. You're going to have overhead compartments. You're going to have leg room, and you're going to have a, what's that called? Footrest. We had 15 passenger vans being driven by people that, that would just say, hey, I'll drive. We had this, I, I, love, I, I love this story. I remember this so vividly. We had, a, uh, we had a chaperone on the van that apparently kept having a recurring dream that she was driving over a bridge and the car went over the side into the water and she died because she couldn't get out of her seatbelt. She kept having this dream. And so we're driving in the white church vans. We got a fleet of them. We got three in a row, caravan of white church vans. You know the type I'm talking about? You, you can see it. We're in the middle one. And we get on this bridge. We're going to Yadkinville, North Carolina. That's where we went every year. Yadkinville, North Carolina, to those of you who know the Booger Swamp Road. Booger Swamp Road. We get on this bridge. It's a huge bridge. I, I think it was somewhere near Jacksonville, maybe. And this chaperone tears her seatbelt off, and she goes, ah, like that. And, of course, everyone in the van's like, what, what's wrong? She goes, I keep having this nightmare that I die going off a bridge. And you know what our driver did? He goes, oh, look at that sign, bridge out ahead. And she starts freaking out. And as she's panicking, he starts going, ah, driving down the road with this van going everywhere. I mean, it was nuts. It was a lot of fun, but it was nuts. We went to, we went to Youth Alive every year. I love Youth Alive Conference. A couple thousand teenagers from all over the country. And every year, our worship leader was a guy named Mike Speck. If you were conscious in the 90s, you probably have heard of Mike Speck if you were around church. Mike would lead, it was contemporary for the time, but when I look back on it now, the music was a little bit different. And so there, I remember every year, it would take probably until like Wednesday afternoon for this to happen. But Mike had this ability, he would just walk up and you'd see it in his face. You'd see that we're about to do a serious song. Like that. And then the, the words, we, hey, we were spiffy, we had a screen. The words would come up on the screen. And, and there was a song that we would do every year. And, and it's, it sounds like a campfire song now. But it was, it, it was big time. And it would go, I, it was all airy like that. I will dare to live the difference. Ooh. See? Dare to live the difference. Actually, you know what? It wasn't quite like this. I need some volunteers. You won't have to sing. We won't have to sing. So I, need, I need just a couple of volunteers. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. We, can we get one more? Josh, come on over. Aubrey, come on down. Come on down. This, this is what it looked like. Aubrey, join in over here. Just, just join... Join like this. Just put your arms around each other. This is what it looked like. <laughs> Dare to live the difference Jesus made in my life. It, cry. It, can you cry? <laughs> he has changed my life forever. 
We can change the world together if we live the difference in our lives. He's getting saved. Live the difference in our lives. It was just like Boys of Old Florida. Yeah, but yeah. It, was, it was there to live the difference. Hey, give it up for these folks. Yeah. We would, we would sing that song every year, and we would meet it. I mean, people were just, just gushing. We can change the world together if we'll live the difference in our lives. And here's what I was thinking about earlier today. Do we really believe that? I mean, we were, I was like 11, 12 the first time I heard that song, and then I heard it every year, and, and everybody would cry, and we'd pack up on Thursday night and go home, and, and we were going to change the world together. But I wonder if we really believed that then. The world that we wanted to change then seemed so much more simple. I mean, we're talking about before 9-11, we're talking about before terrorism and before TSA and, and before Twitter and Facebook and MySpace. Anyone know what MySpace is? Okay, good. Or maybe not good. And it just seems so simple. It's like if I said to you, we can change the world, like, would you really believe it? I want, to, I want you to go to Acts chapter 17. Acts yeah! chapter 17. Thank you. Acts chapter 17. Do you really believe that you can change the world? Do you really believe that you can change the world? Hey, go fast. Go fast. Oh, I love this account. I love this, I love this little story that gets included. The guy that wrote the book of Acts under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is a guy named Luke. He wrote a gospel. It's called Luke. Probably already knew that. And he goes on and he writes the book of the Acts and he records the movements of the early church and this is the entire story of Acts. You ready? The first half of Acts is the story of the Jerusalem church getting its start. The second half of Acts is the story of the missions agency of that Jerusalem church going out all over the world. And that's where we're at right now. And so a guy named Paul, remember last week, the almost Christian... Now a guy named Paul is going into Thessalonica and we're going to see the problem of casual Christianity. Listen to this, beginning in verse 1. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving. Okay, stop there for a minute. I want you to notice this first. Paul does not walk into Thessalonica and try to hide who he is. Paul is not content to go into Thessalonica and have a quiet meeting at the Thessalonica Starbucks, get a couple of folks together, quietly say, I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to talk about the Messiah. Now don't let anybody see us. Paul didn't go in with this attitude of, well, first I need to go in and I need to make people like me. I need people to, to see that I'm just a common, ordinary guy like they are. And once they like me, then they'll accept my message. Paul goes in blazing. He walks in and goes straight to the synagogue 
walks right up to the stage. And, well, they didn't have a stage, but he walks to the center of attention and he says, uh, hey, I got something to share. And listen to what he shares. He explained and proved to them that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. That is to say, the Messiah. He walks in and he says, Jesus is the Messiah. Worship Jesus. He just starts declaring it, and he doesn't do it once. It says he goes three weeks in a row. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. Now, this is, this is a way that Luke writes when he says not a few. What is a lot? A lot is not a few, exactly. So instead of saying, and a lot of prominent women, he says, and not a few prominent women. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. So there's a whole bunch of Jews in the synagogue. There's a whole bunch of Greeks that are there that join them. And then there's a whole bunch of prominent women that believe. What does what mean? It means that they're probably from wealthy families or that their husbands hold positions that they're admired for or even they hold a position that they're admired for. They're influential. They're influential. That was a good question. So all of a sudden, all these people begin, I hate this microphone. I used to like this microphone. I have to get a new one. It won't stay on my ear. All of a sudden, all of these people begin believing in Jesus. Well, that generally causes problems in these days, doesn't it? Look at verse 5. Uh-oh. But the Jews were jealous. Uh-oh. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. That seems to be a recurring theme. This, this phrase, bad characters... Does anyone's translation have something different? What, what did they round up? Uh, wicked men of the rabble. Wicked men of the what? Rabble. Of the rabble. That's new. Wicked men of the rabble. Anybody have anything else? What do you have? Troublemakers. Troublemakers. Anybody have any, anything else? We got wicked men of the rabble. We got troublemakers. We've got people of bad character. I love how, what do you have, Tyler? Mine says wicked men and ruffians and rascals. Wicked men and ruffians and rascals. What do you have? Evil men. Evil men. I love how the King James, King James renders this lewd men. Lewd. These are, let me give you the Asa translation. They go to the marketplace and they get a bunch of punks and perverts. That's basically what they grab. is a, a bunch of people just hanging out in the marketplace and they're waiting for something to break out. They're waiting for something to go and fight about. They're wait, they're, and they're, they're deep in a certain type of sin. And they form a mob. There's no quiet way to do that. There's just none. They form a mob and they started a riot in the city. And they rush to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials shouting, 
These men, here's why we came here. Are you ready? Listen to this. They, they start a riot. They grab these lewd characters, these bad men, these, what, what do you say? The wicked men of the rabble, they grab them and they, they go running to Jason's house. And Jason is a guy that has put up these missionaries in his home. And they go banging on the door. They're like, all right, bring them out. And when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers to the city officials. And this is what they said. These men who have turned the world upside down have now come to us. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there's another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. And then they made Jason and the others go post-bond and let them go. A bunch of stuff happened in those texts that are not clearly recorded. Let me tell you what happened. The riot, the crowd, the mob, they drag everybody out. They're in the street. They go to the governor of the area, and they say, look, this is these guys. They're against Rome. They're talking about you know, Caesar and anything. It's this King Jesus guy. And, and these men have been turning the world upside down, and now they're here, and you've got to do something about it. And the, the, the city rulers are like, oh, what do we do? Because they didn't want Rome to come in and, and, and squash the city. So they decided, well, we don't have the men here but we do have Jason, so what we're going to do is we're going to send Jason to prison and make him bond out tonight, and then we'll tell the crowd, go on home because it's all over. That's what they did. Now, apparently, apparently, the agreement with Jason is that Paul's never going to come back to Thessalonica because he never returns. And he mentions in one of his letters, Satan hindered us from being in Thessalonica. That's what he... That's what he chalks us up to. So here we have Paul. He goes in. He preaches Jesus three weeks. They bring a mob. They throw him out of the city. And as they throw them out of the city, they say this. These men are turning the world upside down. I wonder if that could be said for any of us. One of the songs that we would do every single year at Youth Alive, we would have a big altar call. A big altar call. I mean big. People all over the room would be on their face. And they'd be crying and they'd be praying and They'd be getting right with God, and people would be getting saved. And I remember one year where it just kept going on and on and on, and it was like 45 minutes of an altar call, and they're calling for, they're, they're saying, uh, youth pastors, come down and counsel. And then they call again, they're saying, uh, any youth volunteer that's here, any adult worker that's here with your youth ministry, come down and counsel. And then finally they came back again, they said, if you know how to write, please come down right now and counsel, because all these people are getting saved. It was amazing. And then Mike Speck gets up and he starts singing this song. I don't want to be a casual Christian. 
I don't want to live a lukewarm life because I want to light up the night with an everlasting light. I don't want to live a casual Christian life and everybody everywhere is crying and people are crying. and It seems like that happens so often. It doesn't seem like it happens so often anymore. Can we get real for a moment? Yes? Are you with me? I wonder I wonder if we've gotten too calloused I wonder if we hear something like that and we look we look back on people that are in tears because they're hearing from the Lord and they want their lives to count. They want their lives to matter. They want to change the world. They, they want to turn the world upside down. And it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if we've kind of become experts in Christian emotion. And we've kind of become cynical of what it means to hear from the Lord. I want to give you real quick, and then we're going to wrap this up. Three warnings for your generation. Three warnings to your generation from mine. Three warnings. If you want to write this down, write it down. Here's number one. Don't become so cynical that you believe the world cannot change. You need to be aware that the world is changing every single day. It just might not be you, it might not be us that's changing it. Which direction the world is going in is up for debate, but the world is certainly going in a direction. It's totally possible to change the world as long as you're not so cynical that you believe it can't happen. And as long as that we're, we're not so calloused that we cannot hear the voice of God and we cannot respond to a move of God, that when He desires to change the world and use you to do it, that He can't get through your head. You know, it says that uh, in verse 2, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. Paul persuaded people that Jesus was the Christ. And the people that followed him, they didn't follow him because it said they felt Paul. It doesn't say they felt like Paul. It doesn't say they felt good in the presence of Paul. It doesn't say that they felt good about his claims. It says that they were persuaded by Paul. 
if the world is going to change, if the world is going to move in a new direction, do not be so cynical of what you believe that you won't even speak it. Here's warning number two. Don't become so distracted that Jesus means nothing to you. You know, when we were packing up and going off to camp, if somebody said, hey, leave your cell phones at home, we would have been like, of course we will. We can't get it out of our mom's car. They were, they were built in. Nobody had a cell phone they carried in their pocket. Now it's not even a cell phone you're carrying in your pocket. It's you know, the world's greatest supercomputer. Youth pastors used to say, we only get you two hours a week. Now we don't even get you for that. You, you, know, you just change locations for two hours a week and the phone content's still the same. It's all that you're seeing at home, sitting on the toilet and everything. It's just in a different location, a different environment. It is so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to pursue things that are not Jesus. And yet, if the world is going to be turned upside down, there's only one thing that can turn the world upside down, and it's Jesus. And how on earth we can come into a place like this and hear songs about Jesus and who he is and have preaching about Jesus and who he is and have people praying over us about Jesus and who he is and, and have the Holy Spirit at work convicting us about Jesus and who he is and then we, we want to be moved by God but, but I'm uh, a little too cool for that. No, by the way, I've got that group text that I've got to respond to real quick. Don't get so distracted that Jesus means nothing. Here's a third one. Last one, and then we're going to be through. Before I even say it, I want you to think, when you turn on the television, what do you see? When you open up Twitter, what do you see? When you look at the news, however you receive it, what do you see? A warning for your generation. Don't Count on the mob to make the world a different place. Let me put it another way, and yes, I said it. Don't count on the protest rally to make the world a different place. It would be a terrible idea, and we're all living it. Don't count on the mob. Listen, look. The Jews were jealous, verse 5, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, they formed a mob, and they started a riot in the city. They probably were saying, hey, hey, ho, ho, Paul and Silas got to go. They probably had great signs. TNN was there, the Thessalonica News Network. They stirred up a protest rally, they go, they grab Jason, they want to grab Paul, they're successful in getting Paul to leave the city, but oh wait, if you have your Bible, turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Are you there? 
Listen to this. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church. Uh-oh. There's a whole church there now of the Thessalonians. And God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. And now listen to what he says to them. These, he had three weeks with them. Three weeks. We thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor, your, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved, the, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake for all three weeks. Your You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers. Holy night. These people, they had the mob run them out of town. You know, that same place, they're now models to all believers. In Macedonia and Achaia, the Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith And God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. He had three weeks with these people. The mob runs them out of town, and guess what? You can't stop the gospel. You can't stop the church. I don't care what mob you got. I don't care what protest you're up to. You can't stop the gospel. And Paul's run out of town, so he writes him a letter. Hello. And all of a sudden, a new way of evangelism is born. Evangelism by letter. They locked him out of the city, so he writes letters to him. Don't think that the mob is going to change the world for you. Do you know why the people of Thessalonica changed? Because Paul went in and he was faithful to what God had called him to do and one person at a time, one person at a time, one person at a time, he persuaded them. He persuaded. He persuaded. Paul was faithful. One last story and I'm done. I remember in 11th grade, the end of 11th grade, I went to, uh, I had a scheduling conflict. I had just been elected the drum major of the West Orange High School Band. Yes. And, And that is a, That's like the top leadership position. And we had two weeks of band camp, and the first week was right over the top of that year's youth camp. And so I had a decision to make. I had to figure out, was I going to stay and go to band camp as the drum major, or was I going to set a potentially dangerous precedent and take the week away and go to that youth camp trip? I decided to go on the trip. Went and talked with my band directors. They were fine with it. Talked with the other officers. They understood where I was going to be. I never have regretted that. Never. And here's why. 
That year, we went to the World Baptist Youth Conference, Arlington, Texas. It was a 24-hour bus ride. Yes, on a bus that did not have air conditioning because it broke 15 minutes out of Orlando. Yep. By the end of that week, not only was the air conditioning broke on that bus, but the drivers had run it into a tree and busted out, you know on the nice tour buses, you've got the, the big open window at the top so you can see, they had run that into a branch and it busted out. So they put duct tape over that opening. So we're riding around in a duct taped, no air conditioning, incense burning on the bus, Bob Marley playing on the TV screens, bus rolling around Dallas, Texas in July. July. And we've got a 24-hour ride back home on that same bus. It was real. I remember the Thursday night. Thursday night, the invitation came. I can't remember the name of the guy preaching that night. I wish I could. The invitation came, and the guy came up to lead a song of response. And maybe you know it. It's that song that goes, God, you are my God. You ever heard that? And I will ever praise you. It says, I will seek you in the morning, and I will learn to walk in your ways. You know this? And step by step, you'll lead me, and I will follow you all of my days. That song was, that, it, it was going. And folks, listen. I stepped out that night, and I went to that altar and for the very first time in my life, honestly, I was broken. You know when you're broken, when you are sobbing so uncontrollably that you can't even think. I didn't even know what to pray for. I just knew I needed to be at that altar. A few moments went by and I started to feel hands around me and I started to see people gathering in, and, and I, I looked up, and one of our youth workers had come over, and several students had come with him, and they were all praying for me, because they didn't know what was going on, they just knew I was broken. I went back to my seat, they finished out the night, we went back to our hotel, that was the last night of that camp. Something happened every single year when we would go on these trips. The very last night, we would end up standing in a big circle in the parking lot of the hotel, and we'd go around the circle, and everybody would say what they were taking away from the week. And as you can imagine, a lot of it was, I want to go back, and I don't want to lose the fire, and I want to spread the fire to everybody at church, and I, I want to see all my friends come to Christ, and, and I'm going to get dirty music out of my life, and I'm going to go burn all my tapes. Uh, it, listen, we did, and it was fun. You can't burn your iPods or your iPhones. Well, you could, but your parents wouldn't be happy. That night, I can't remember what I shared in the parking lot, but that night, something else happened to me for the first time. Instead of leaving that parking lot circle and going into the lobby of the hotel like we always did, hanging out, enjoying one another, laughing, telling jokes, 
I went straight up the elevator and I went into a room that was totally empty. Didn't even turn the lights on. I sat on the floor in front of the bed. I can see the scene as if it were yesterday. And I started to break again and I bawled and I cried my eyes out alone in a dark room. And you know why? It was the first time that I understood God had called me something. God had called me to something more than I had dreamed for myself. He had called me to do what these men were doing, called me to be part of turning the world upside down, and I was bawling my eyes out because I realized that if I was going to be part of turning the world upside down, my world was going to be turned upside down. My dreams, my plans, my passions, my fears, my insecurities, all of it was about to be turned upside down because I was losing control of who I was. Folks, I don't know who you are. I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, but I know somebody's here I'm talking to. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what God is doing in your life, but you do. And you've been in fear because you don't want your world to be turned upside down. Folks, listen. All around you, you see your generation attempting to change the world. And right now, the world is winning. If you want to see the world change, turn your own world upside down for him, for Jesus. You want to see the world around you change? Then tomorrow, you go help one person turn their world upside down for him. And all of a sudden, one by one, just like Paul, not only will change come, but you can't stop it. Riot and protest, scream and yell, be offended all you want. You can't stop the gospel. And so many of us will miss that because we're so distracted that Jesus is nothing. We're counting on everybody else around us to do it. And we've become so cynical that we don't even believe it can happen. If you're in this room tonight and you're not coming to camp with us, you need to find a way to go. I will find a way for you to go. I don't care if we've got to call and order another bus or call the guy that drove the white church vans almost over the bridge. We'll get somebody to drive you to camp. If, if you can get there, you get there. But even if you're not, even if for whatever reason, you cannot be there. You're not planning to be there. You, you've been listening to this, and you're like, what does this have to do with me? The same God that's going to be at camp is in this room right now. And I wonder how many folks, it's just time that your world is flipped upside down. Would you bow your heads with me?